I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What is good, everybody? We are back with a very special guest on this Gold Standard Podcast production. You know him from ESPN. Mike Greenberg is here. Greeny, thanks for hopping in. Good to see you again, Stats. How you been? I am well, thank you. Not as good as you, who, of course, has a brand new book, Got Your Number, The Greatest Sports Legends and the Numbers They Own. It's available everywhere. I am obsessed with this thing. I need to get a copy, but it's impossible to get one. So that has blessedly stopped being the case as of yesterday. So, um, or at least yesterday, as you and I record this conversation. So um, we're, we're going to hit the list. I'm not at liberty to say at what number, um, but we're going to be the highest rated sports book on the New York Times bestseller list in literally in years. And I'm so excited about that because it's my first sports book. I mean, you've known me a long time. I've written a, a, several other books, but I've never written a sports book because I just never had what I thought was a good enough idea. Mm-hmm. And, and like most things, this one came to me totally by accident. Um, we were sitting around after the Get Up show one day and we were having a conversation about how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Namath, Ken Stabler, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Jim Kelly, Bob Greasy, and, and then eventually, you know, Brady and Rogers will be in the Hall of Fame. And someone in the room said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore the number 12, but who owns the number 12? And stats, it was like a light bulb went off over my head. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I've got an idea. And driving home that day, I called Hembo, who is, for those who don't know, has been doing research at ESPN and on my shows now for years, and I think is the best in the entire industry 
in sports research. And I said, I've got an idea. We're going to do a book. We're going to decide who owns every number in sports history from one to a hundred. You do the research. I'll do the writing. And it worked. And, and um, what I like about it is that it's two things. It's sports debate, which obviously is, I think what most people are attaching themselves to in the conversation, which is we made some choices. Who owns this number? Who owns that number? You're going to agree with this one. You're going to disagree with that. That's great. We can debate that stuff. That's what makes the world go round and it's fun. But stats, I don't know about you because I'm, you know, I'm a generation older than you are, but I grew up reading sports history books. Like that's how I know what I know about sports from reading about it in books. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel there's as much of that that goes on. So what I will say about this book is that whether you agree or disagree with, you know, no one's going to agree with every decision we made, but you will learn something about all 100 of them that we chose. Hembo's research is so good that even the ones you think you know the most about, like I know you know everything about there is to know about the 49ers. You think you know everything there is to know about Joe Montana. I promise you, he's number 16 in the book. I promise you, you will learn stuff about Montana in this book that you did not already know. And, and so it is part sports debate and part sports history. And, and it's actually the history part that I'm most excited about. Because here's what me off, and then I'll get off of my, <laughs> uh, and let you start asking me questions. But, but like, if you're watching a, a political talk show, and the host of the show says, well, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about FDR because he was president before my time. You would say, what the hell are you talking about? Like, how, how can you not have any knowledge of history? Then how can you put anything that is happening today in context? But somehow we accept that in sports all the time. People be like, well, I don't know much about Jerry West because he played before my time. So he can't possibly be as good as LeBron James. Right. What the hell does that mean? I mean... <laughs> You can know about things that happened before your time. You can read about them in books. LeBron James is going to be before people's time too someday. So, uh, so, so that's what I. So that's what I like is that people will start. Hopefully, people who read this will start getting. Some of them who don't already have it will start getting some understanding of sports history because there's a lot of old ones in this. You know, there, there's a right alongside some. And look, there, Steph Curry's in the book and. Tom Brady's in the book and Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Tiger Woods. There are current athletes and modern day athletes, but there's also Red Grange and Babe Ruth and Babe Dietrichson and Jesse Owens and lots of much, much older athletes who were before practically everybody who is alive today's time. But sports fans of today should know who they are. So that's what I'm actually most excited about with the book. There are some numbers when you do this exercise that I feel like are a lot easier to call than other numbers. Like to me, I feel like 12 is Brady's, even though there's so much competition, he's so great. Number 99 to me is Gretzky. What would you say was the toughest number? So the really hard ones, 21 was really. Mm -hmm. So 21 is Deion Sanders, Tim Duncan, and Roberto Clemente. So I feel like if this was the stats book, by stats, I mean the Rob Guerrera book, that you would have given it to Dion. And, and I will say, uh, well, now look, the look on your face suggests maybe I'm wrong. I put a Twitter poll up uh, on, on my page and asked my followers, and they voted for Dion. We chose, well, I, do you know who we chose? Have you, have you, do you know who we put at 21? No, I don't know. Okay. Um, who would you I hope? <sighs> 
Roger Clemens has a good case, doesn't he? So Roger Clemens is one that we didn't even consider because he wore the, I, I, I want to say he wore multiple numbers in yeah, the I nature. think he did. Um, and uh, because I, and I say that because when Hembo came to me with the lists, so the way this whole thing started was the first process, per, the first part of the process was I'll make the deal with the publisher. Hembo, you go start getting us options. <laughs> So right. <laughs> he wants to think that. All right, Greeny, here's all our options for number one. Here's all our options for number two. And I don't remember Roger Clemens' name. Now, this was at this point like two years ago that we had this conversation, but I don't even remember his name. And and yes, to your point, Clemens would have had to have been considered strongly at 21. So I don't think you're sitting in front of a computer. Maybe you can look it up. I think yeah. he wore multiple numbers. He did. He was 21 with Boston and Toronto. And then he wore 12. He wore 22 with the Yankees. And then he wore 22 with the Astros. So okay. he did have multiple numbers. So multiple numbers. So so the three that we gave, the three we really gave consideration to, as I remember it, were Tim Duncan, Deion Sanders, and Clemente. Who would you have picked? I think I would go with Dion. Because personality, when we're talking about who owns the number, like kids still think Deion Sanders has swag today and he hasn't played in the NFL in forever. Tim Duncan is the opposite of swag. Like that is not, he's, you know, shoot off the backboard guy. So even though he was historically good, Deion, I feel like is still the prototype coaches look for when they're drafting cornerbacks. So I think I would go with primetime. Right. And we went with Roberto Clemente, and I, and I will and I will tell you why, because Dion and and I'll tell you we've had a lot of pushback, a lot a lot of people supporting Dion because he was so many people's favorite player, and I totally yep. get it. He might have been the most eminently watchable football player I've ever watched play, and oh by the way, he played in an NFL game and an NLCS game in the same day. <laughs> um, so I I cannot argue against him at all. Here's how I arrived at Clemente. I decided that all three of those players, Clemente, Duncan, and Dion, I can't separate them on individual greatness. Like they were all about as individually great as you could be. Duncan in basketball, Dion in football, and Clemente in baseball. I, I can't say one was definitively better than the others. What I could say is that while I agree with you, Dion has a certain swag about him that is unmatchable. I don't know that everyone is aware. Everyone in the world knows the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. I don't know that everyone is aware that Major League Baseball's humanitarian award given every year to this day is the Roberto Clemente Award. Mm -hmm. Roberto Clemente's philanthropic efforts are, are, are probably the equal of that of, of those of any player in the history of American professional sports. Further, he is the grandfather of Latin American baseball. He has been described as the Jackie Robinson of Latin American baseball players. Um, he, he, it is, it is almost impossible to, um, to imagine the sport without him. He, he might be, I think you could make an argument. He's one of the five most important people in the history of major league baseball. And so I used that as my criteria that that's how I chose him by an eyelash. Cause that's all it is, is an eyelash over Dion and Duncan. I mean, Duncan won five championships, and a lot of people would argue if you're making the all-time starting five, he would be the power forward. Yep. Um, it was the one of the hardest. That's why when you asked me, that was the hard – I think that was the one we went back and forth on the longest. 
Hmm. Another one that was incredibly tough was eight. Eight was Cal Ripken, Yogi Berra, Kobe Bryant. And and the reason that hold so, on. You can't come on a 49ers podcast and talk about number eight and not include Steve Young. Okay, and Steve Young. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and there are many others. Look, I obviously I know Steve and and I respect greatly his career. And and he was a it was a first ballot Hall of Famer and fully deserves it. But from a historical perspective, he's not he's I mean, Yogi Berra won 10 World Series and and uh <laughs> And, and, you know, Cal Ripken holds what is probably the most cherished record in baseball history and has 400 home runs and 3,000 hits. Um, and, um, and, and then Kobe Bryant is Kobe Bryant. And, and the, the, the challenge with Kobe was because he played literally exactly half his career as number eight. Mm. The other half is 24. So you could give him 24, but the problem is Willie Mays was 24. And so I wanted to give Mays 24. And that meant that if I didn't give Kobe eight, then I was either going to do a book like this without Kobe in it, or I was finding another number for Kobe. So that's, that's why it was another one that was a brutally hard um, collection of decisions that we had to make four was brutally hard. Oh. Lou Gehrig, Bobby Orr, Brett Favre, mm -hmm. um, really, really hard decision. 32 was Magic Johnson, Sandy Koufax, and Jim Brown. Um, you know, so, so there were a lot of those really, really tough choices. And, and, you know, we made the decisions. And here's what I'll say. I'm so proud of Hembo because the research is so good that there'll be some you'll agree with, some, some you'll disagree with. But we back up every one of our cases. Like if you if you do us the if you do us the honor of reading the argument we make, even if we don't convince you, I promise you'll walk away saying, "Okay, I see why they went there." Like I still would have gone Dion, but I can see why they went Clemente. I think I think we can make that case about all one hundred of them. Come on the show and slander Steve Young. It's fine. You know, our 49er fans will understand. Yogi Berra is a sneaky good one because people don't realize his career was incredible because they just think of him as like this guy that said funny things he was a monster on the field i mean he was for the longest time the greatest catcher of all time uh and and um still one of the the two or three greatest hitting catchers of all time mm -hmm. and one of the one of the winningest players in the history of american professional sports all he did was win uh, I could sit and talk, even just baseball all day, but this is a football show, so I want to get to some football. By the way, if you didn't give number 80 to Jerry Rice, we're going to fight. Like well, we so, will have so it. Here's what I will say. I've had a million fights over this. So, yes, I did give 80 to Jerry Rice. Yes. And the reason is because I did not feel that a book of this sort could possibly be complete without including a player who you could make an argument, uh, statistically speaking, is the greatest player in the history of pro football. However, what multiple people have said in interviews I've done like this, and I can't argue with it, is that when you say 80 to most sports fans in America, they will talk about the miracle on ice, that, that the first thing that will come to people's mind is because a lot of the numbers that we gave in this book are not to individuals. They're not Jersey numbers. Mm-hmm. Some of them are years. So, for example, like 72 is the 72 Dolphins. So it was very, very hard for me not to give 80 to the Miracle on Ice because that might be the most famous 
event in the history of American sports. Like I, there, there may not be any bigger thing that ever happened in American sports history than us winning that gold medal. And, and I'm old enough to remember it. And I, I'm sure I've told this story on Mike and Mike at some point while you were uh, working with us, because I've, I've told this story on the air so many times because it comes up, you know, and over the years, you get a chance to tell the, the beauty of being old is you can tell the same story over and over <laughs> again. People will cut you some slack. But when in 1980, I went to, I was a student at the United Nations International School. That's where I went to school. And so I was in a gym locker room, like we're changing for gym the morning after that. So, so we beat, people forget that the US, they beat the Russian team or the Soviet team. And then they had to come back and win the gold medal two days later. And that was on a Sunday. So then the next day is Monday and they've won the gold medal. And we are in our gym locker room. And again, the United Nations International School is a school that's made up of about 50% American kids. And the other 50% are the kids of the UN diplomats. Oh, so, so you, the diplomats who are representatives of the UN from all over the world, they live in New York because that's where the United Nations is. And those who have kids, that's where they send their kids. Got it. So they get to go to that school. So those were my classmates. So growing up, my three best friends, one was from Madagascar, one was from Canada, and one was from China. These were the, these were the people I knew. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point I'm building up to here is that in a, in a gym locker room filled with at least half of kids who were not American, a USA, USA chant starts up and we're pounding on lockers and chanting USA in a gym locker room at the United Nations school the morning after the US completed that and won the gold. So leaving that out, not giving that 80, and there's no other number you can give it, was a very hard thing to do. But I thought, the greatest athletes ever should get their jersey number. People are going to associate this book more than anything with the jersey numbers. Yes. And while I don't know that everyone, everyone knows Jerry Rice, I don't know that everyone immediately knows that he wore number 80, but I felt I couldn't do this book and not give him 80. So I've had a lot of disagreement on that, but um, we did give it to Jerry Rice. It's not something that I initially thought of, but then once you said it, it was like, ooh. Man, that's pretty tough. But uh, maybe when you're the greatest receiver of all time, you, you know. Well, the numbers that... are, are, are absurd. So I'll tell you right now the way I did that chapter. So Hembo would send me an email like every two or three days with a new player or legend or whatever. Here's the num- here's the stuff I found on this person, on that person, on this team, on whoever we had decided we were going to give the number to. And then I would sit down, I'd read it through, and then I would write the chapter. The stats that he sent me, on Jerry Rice were so ridiculous <laughs> that the, the chapter is, if when you see the book, I'm not making this up. I will say, I could not eliminate any of this. So what follows is an email that came to my inbox at <laughs> sometime 5.42 PM on such and such day. This is verbatim the email that Hembo sent to me. And it's just a list of like 19 statistics that are so absurd that, that, I, mean, I don't even know where to begin. Like, like Jerry Rice has his own record book, and there was no, there was no way not to give him that number. But you're right about how the older players sort of fade from consciousness because now people are arguing that Randy Moss was better than Jerry Rice. He wasn't. 
He wasn't better than Jerry Rice, and it's not even particularly that close, to be honest. But anyway, Randy that's... Moss would tell you he wasn't better than Jerry Rice. If you right. asked Randy Moss who was better, Randy Moss or Jerry Rice, he would say Jerry Rice. If you ask Terrell Owens, who is most famous for saying, I love me some me, um, <laughs> who was better, him or Jerry Rice, he would say Jerry Rice. If you ask Chris Carter, who oh, was yeah. better, Chris Carter or Jerry Rice, he would say Jerry Rice. If you ask Michael Irvin, who was better, Michael Irvin or Jerry Rice? He would say Jerry Rice. They would all say Jerry Rice. So the book got your number. You can get it everywhere books are sold. I, You've sold me on it. That's for damn sure. I'm going to go pick it up. Um, but you are also hosting the NFL draft in less than two weeks. And 49ers fans are kind of bummed because we don't have a pick in the draft. Um, so we've kind of been, you know, it's sort of a different time for us. But the thing I wanted to talk to you about is because you are a Jet fan and I'm a 49er fan and both of our teams drafted quarterbacks in 2021. The Jets took Zach Wilson. The Niners have Trey Lance. We all know how that turned out. My question to you is, would you rather be in the Jets quarterback situation right now where you are just biding your time, hopefully Aaron Rodgers, or would you rather be in the 49er situation right now where Trey Lance might be good, but you don't really know what you have? I'm not even 100% sure I understand the question. So you're saying, would you rather draft a quarterback who might be the worst player ever <laughs> or draft a quarterback we don't know yet if he's going to be good or not? <laughs> like, there's no question I would rather have Trey Lance. Now, I mean, for one year, maybe two, we are probably, hopefully, going to have Aaron Rodgers, and that might work out great. But Zach Wilson is going to go down as one of the great busts he's going to be right there with ryan leaf and jamarcus russell and guys like that as the worst picks in history trey lance i mean i don't have any idea what he's going to be and i don't know if they have any idea what he's right. going to be i would defer to you on that huh. but you know because you cut you're, you're around it so much you know more than i am and and, you, and you're living with it sort of minute by minute in ways that i'm not and obviously you know, they, that, that coach can turn Mr. Irrelevant into a guy who might have just taken the job away from a player who you traded up to take with the number three pick in the draft. And, oh, by the way, you're willing to let Jimmy Garoppolo walk away, who would have been the best quarterback the Jets have had in at least a decade. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would rather be the 49ers in every conceivable way. But at least you played Wilson. You know what you have, right? It didn't work out, but you know he's not the guy. The 49ers are sitting here three years after he's drafted, and they're in limbo. Yeah, but 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 your version of limbo is if your quarterback hadn't have hurt his shoulder in the second quarter of the end, you might be the defending Super Bowl champs. You have a very different limbo than I do. That, that's, I mean, the game you played against the Eagles is a non-game. It might just yeah. as well have not been played. You were playing with me at quarterback, <laughs> or you would not have been any better off had you been playing with me at quarterback. Um, so, so your version of limbo isn't so bad. Maybe Trey Lance will wind up being great. Now, look, I did that. Was the first draft I did. So I will always remember all of my notes on those players and how intensely I studied them and whatnot. And I can tell you, people love Trey Lance, loved him going into that. And, um, you know, I have no idea what he might ultimately be. Is your sense that he's going to get that job back? Is, is your sense that he is going to be the starter at any point this coming season? No, I think that he might be done. 
I think that they could move him because, and I can't believe this is a sentence I'm going to say out loud and you'll appreciate this because Kyle Shanahan loves Sam Darnold. He loves him. All he talks about, he said he has as good of a skill set as there is out there, right. which I mean, you know, please tell 49er fans. Cause I've been screaming about it. Sam Darnold stinks. Please tell us what we're getting. So Sam Darnold is the best example I can ever remember of my theory that far more young quarterbacks are ruined than developed. The Jets ruined Sam Darnold. The only <laughs> question is, is he fixable? If Sam Darnold had been drafted where Patrick Mahomes was drafted, if Sam Darnold had been drafted by Kyle and developed by Kyle Shanahan, he unquestionably has the skill set, the pure physical talent to have been a great quarterback and probably still does. He's athletic, he's mobile, he has a freaking cannon for an arm. He has very bad instincts, which is to say <laughs> he throws just terrible interceptions. And those have to be coached out of a young player. And the Jets didn't do it. The Jets, he was terribly coached. Adam Gase was an absolutely terrible football coach. So here, here were the seasons that Sam Darnold had. He's on a terrible team in year one of a rebuild. Then... He's on a, a, a terrible team whose coach doesn't have a freaking clue. <laughs> and they decide they're going to tank. So they don't put any talent around him whatsoever. And he has no fighting chance. And then that team decides, well, we want to start again with a rookie so we can start the rookie clock, you know, the contract and all that. So they get rid of Darnold and they, and they draft Zach Wilson. I don't know that Sam Darnold can't wind up being good. I do worry that it has been beaten out of him. Like, I just don't think you can, what is he like 25 years old still? Like he's ridiculously yeah. young still. So I wouldn't put it completely past him. And by him, I mean, Kyle Shanahan to like figure something out with that guy. But I mean, most likely not because he, he, I think those things have to happen immediately. Like, I think you have to come into the NFL and have great coaching and I mean, like, look what, I mean, here's the flip side of that. Cause I can see the numbers you put up here and those are, that's, you know, that's, that's obviously, hideous. obviously really bad. <laughs> um, you know, I think Daniel Jones's numbers would have looked something like that for his first few years with the giants and then he got Brian Dayball as his coach. And suddenly they don't look like that anymore. And does I think that Sam Darnold has as much talent as Daniel Jones. He's not as physically strong. Like Jones is a powerful and fast. Darnold doesn't run as well, but he does run. He can run. And he has an unbelievable arm. And I think he's a really good kid. Like I think he's coachable and wants it and all that stuff. So I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that he could be rehabilitated. I wouldn't bet my life savings on it. Now to go back to the beginning of this, you said maybe what they do is they trade Trey Lance. What could you get for Trey Lance? That's the problem is that establishing his problem. It's making my point for me. You couldn't trade Zach Wilson right now for anything, literally <laughs> anything. No team would give you a seventh. No team would give you a seventh round pick. 
for Zach Wilson. None. He was the second pick in the draft two years ago, and no team would even consider trading you a seventh round pick for him. Trey Lance, I don't know what you would get for him right now. I, I, I'm making this up. If you're if you're Tampa Bay and your quarterback room right now has uh, um, uh, Kyle Trask, Baker Mayfield, and Kyle Trask in it, you know, take take a go on on uh, you know on uh, Kyle Trask was in the same draft actually as Trey Lance, um, but you know Trey Lance, the book has not been written. Uh, Zach Wilson, I believe the book has been written, and it's a tragedy. It's the worst <laughs> book you've ever read in your entire life. You've never read a book so sad. It's, it's, a, it's the worst book in the history of books. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, when Lance was coming out, there was all this talk about, you know, such a small sample because he hadn't really played that much. But then I look at a guy like Anthony Richardson coming out of Florida this year. The kind of, I mean, he played 19 games. Lance played 17 games. Now, granted, Richardson was at Florida. The level of competition was a little different. But I'm wondering if there's kind of parallels between those two guys. Yeah, of course there are. I think Richardson only played 13 games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, you know uh, better than me, considering you're hosting well, the draft. I have the notes in front of me. Well, the, the, the draft is the ultimate open book test. Uh, that's the beauty of it. I, I, I have, I will have, by the time we get there, I will have notes on, I try and get to 120 to 130 players. I, I do the first two nights. So I do rounds mm-hmm. one, two, and three with, which with the compensatory picks, I think this year is 101 players, something like that. So every year, like, so I've done it two years in the past. The first year there were two players. The second year there were four players that got drafted that I hadn't studied. And by my standards, what that studied is, I will have watched at least a, a couple of minutes of YouTube a video on the ones who were not, you know, who everyone didn't see. Like, I don't need to watch two minutes of, of YouTube on Bryce Young. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on players that you haven't otherwise seen, I'll watch a little bit. I'll go through notes. I will put together like about a paragraph of what I want to say when they are picked. And, and that's what I will say when their names are called. And again, it's an open book test. I, I can read it uh, off that piece of paper. If when you are watching, if you were still with us at the end of round three, someone's name will get called by the commissioner. And all you'll hear me say is Mel. You'll know that's a player I didn't do. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, and so um, I can't believe he's going to go where he's going to go. I, mean, I just can't believe it. Um, you know, people are talking about trading up to three to take him. Um, people are, Dan Olavsky is talking about him going number one overall. Like that's just, it's insane to me. Anthony Richardson 
in nobody's estimation is going to be ready to play. Now, look, if you're the 49ers and you've got Jimmy Garoppolo and you feel like you might win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and develop Trey Lance at the same time, then I like it. And if a team feels they could do that, I'm just making this up. If Seattle feels at number five, mm-hmm. like we could take Anthony Richardson, what they got for Russell Wilson is unbelievable. I mean, we I just had I had a meeting this morning, a Zoom with the draft team, and we were going over some of the notes. Like that's going to go down as one of the great trades of all time. But anyway, they've got Geno for another couple of years. Take Richardson, let him sit, let him learn, all that kind of stuff. That makes sense to me. Because that kid is not going to be ready to play anytime soon. And neither was Lance going to be. So it all could wind up working out great. I I don't think that what's going on with Trey Lance isn't sort of right by the script. Now, for him to get hurt the way he did last year, was it week two? He got got hurt like immediately, right? First quarter of week two. Yeah. So, so like, that obviously wasn't part of the script. and, And who knows what would have happened otherwise. But that might still work out very well. And I think Anthony Richardson is in a similar place uh the the talent is off the charts it, it, it it's it's josh allen with even more explosiveness uh, in his legs uh, which is to say he's basically as big and he's even faster um so you know and he's got a cannon for an arm so it's there and like but as i said at the beginning of this conversation it'll come down to is he developed or is he ruined if, if he gets drafted in the right place, like, like Lewis Riddick, who will be on the draft with us, like he was making this point, like whichever quarterback goes number one is walking into the best situation in Carolina. They've got Frank Reich. They've got Jim. People don't realize they have Jim Caldwell on their offensive staff now. Mm. And they have Andy Dalton, who is the definition of there to, you know, he might as well have a bridge on his Jersey instead of a number. <laughs> Because he's just there to hold that job until the young player is ready. They have excellent, excellent, excellent situation for a young quarterback. So if a guy like Anthony Richardson gets drafted into something like that, into Seattle where he can sit, learn, develop, um, and and then when you know, and then be ready when he's ready, then maybe he winds up being a, an absolutely great player. And if yeah. he's in a place where they don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden it's week nine of his first year and we're one and eight and the fans are chanting, we want this guy. And now all of a sudden, well, we're going to try and save our jobs. So let's put the kid out there and see what we've got. Then that's a disaster scenario waiting to happen. And we'll have to see which one of those he winds up in. That's the same thing happened to Sam Darnold. And, 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 and that's why Sam Darnold is where he is today. I heard the same thing about Trey Lance. Oh, it's a perfect landing spot. He's got Kyle Shanahan and Debo and Brandon Ayuk and Kittle and that defense. And yet, here we sit in 2023, and I don't even know if they're ever going to get a chance to unwrap that package. And that will forever drive me nuts. Because as good as Brock played, I still think that a lot of that was Kyle Shanahan, you know, magic. And I think that if you're going to, especially winning a Super Bowl, you're going to have to beat basically a Hall of Fame quarterback in the AFC, whether it's Allen or Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or maybe Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. You're going to need that level of quarterback. And I don't think Brock can ever get to that level, whereas Trey Lance might. I don't know if he can, but I think he has the physical ability to do it. And they might never even find out. But they might. I mean, let's put it this way. If he's that good, again, I'm – 
for me to be telling you things about the 49ers is obviously ridiculous because you know them infinitely better than I do. But observing them from the relative distance at which I sit, if that kid is as good as we're saying he might be, the person who will know that is Kyle Shanahan. And then he will put him on the field, I have to believe. And the idea that Kyle has been able to do what he's been able to do with Matt Ryan, who obviously was a very good player, but not not an historically great player, with Brock Purdy, with Jimmy Garoppolo, with others. The flip side of what you're saying is imagine what he might be able to do with Trey Lance. So, like, I still think this might work out extraordinarily well. I mean, you know, again, to your, the, the original question you asked me, Stats, is sounding, and the more I think about it, it's worse and worse because, <laughs> like, Zach Wilson's unimaginably bad, and that's over now. And Trey Lance might wind up being really, really good, and we just don't know. That situation is so much better than the Jets situation. I, I don't even know how to come up with adjectives. Last question, and then I'll let you go. Is Aaron Rodgers going to get traded before the heat death of the universe? <laughs> so, yes. You know me well <laughs> enough to know I am a very pessimistic person. Even I am remain confident that Rodgers is going to wind up a Jet. My Because it has taken this long, my dream now is that it happens on my watch, that it actually happens while I'm hosting the draft. Um, and then it happens, you know, right there. Cause I think that would be great fun and it would be a great test of my uh, ability as a broadcaster to not, to act as, you know, because the one thing I will say about the draft is the difference between the draft and, and the talk shows that I host is that like, like this show and my show, you know, the, the TV shows that I do and whatnot, like people are tuning into those for better or for worse to hear what I think of things. Mm-hmm. I am extraordinarily aware that no one is watching the draft because they give a damn what I think. They're there to see their players, their team pick their players. They're there to see the entirely get reshaped. They're there to hear what Mel thinks and what Lewis thinks and Booger, et cetera. They're not there because they want to see me freak out over the Jets getting Aaron Rodgers. I've made that very clear when the people that gave me the job and I were first talking about it. I said, let me say this before you have to say it to me. I fully get that the draft is not a place for that shtick. And, and so I have never done, never mentioned it. In fact, the closest I've ever come to any of that was sort of my first year. Northwestern had two players in round one. And I allowed myself to like say, all right, a little purple pride there. Because I think everyone has an alma mater. And I think everyone kind of gets that. But if Rogers, if that trade, if at some point I hear in my ear, Greeny, go to Shefty, he's got something. And I go to Shefty and Shefty says, all right, Greeny, uh, the, the uh, New York Jets have traded the whatever it is to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers. And then it comes back to me. <laughs> and I have to very calmly say, so, Lewis, let's talk about that for a moment here. <laughs> um, that will be fun and a good challenge for me. So, so, so that's what I'm kind of hoping will happen now. The one thing I will say is if for whatever reason it does not happen before the Jets make their second round picks, so I don't think it has to happen Thursday because I don't think the first pick is going in there. Mm-hmm. The Jets have two seconds. If those two seconds come and go and the Jets have taken two players, now we got a problem <laughs> because now the Packers have no rush 
if this trade does not happen in time for them to get stuff for this year, then the Packers actually have, and most people probably know them already, they have financial incentives to not do the deal until after June 1st, and they don't have any pressure to do the deal until the season starts. That's when they owe them the $58 million or whatever is week one. So they have zero pressure on them. And then I think all of the pressure goes to the Jets because then I think every day he isn't there becomes a problem. So if Friday night of the draft comes and goes and that deal isn't done, we've got a major issue. I don't expect that to happen, but if it does, that's when we've got a problem. Oh, that would all due respect. That would be the most jets thing of all time. <laughs> I don't know why you're saying with all due respect, I'm well aware that would that's be the true. Most jets thing there is time. no respect due to the New York jets. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, the book is got your number. It's available everywhere. Go and buy it. You'll learn maybe a thing or two about some people you didn't know. And uh, thanks again. We really appreciate the time. Great to see you, Stats. My pleasure.